So last week, uh, Taylor did a wonderful job of launching our new conversation in the book of Jeremiah. And so we're in Jeremiah, and last week she talked about purpose. She took Jeremiah 1 and, and broke it down and really encouraged us to, uh, to find our purpose. And so uh, what I want to do this week is I want to build upon uh, what she started using the same passage, but I want to look at the why. I really want to encourage you to find the why we need purpose, why we need to live on mission. And, and the short answer, if you check out just shortly after what I'm about to say, then so be it. But the short answer is because a lot of us are living uh, in autopilot, right? So um, I rented a car a while back, and it had the lane assist. I don't know if you guys have these fancy things on your cars, but when you hit lane assist, you can take your hands off the wheel, I think for nine seconds is what I counted, and I counted because I needed to know. And then you have to put your hands back on or it alerts you. Some of them are autonomous, but I wasn't that fancy. Uh, lane assist, and it keeps you in your lane. And a lot of us spiritually kind of walk through this auto, cruise, lane assist, let's just go, keep the hands on the wheel every so often, and we'll just kind of move. And what I think Jeremiah does is it shakes us out of these dull moral habits that we've created for ourselves. I think it moves us beyond living a life for self. It moves us beyond living a life that is passive, and, and we move into a life that is powerful, spiritually powerful. And I know for me, and I know most likely for you too, you want to live this life of power in the Spirit, and yet so many of us just live day to day, like what's just going to happen, and we let life happen to us. And I think we all need to be stretched and, and challenged. I think we all, regardless of where you come from or what you've gone through, need to be awakened out of these dull moral habits that we've created, shaken out of petty and trivial busy work, and get on mission. What are you calling me to do, God, and how can I do it to the best of my ability in our lives? We have to come to a place where we're no longer comfortable being comfortable. And I think that's the challenge that we, we uh, have in front of us in our modern society where the goal is to be comfortable and the goal is to be uh, safe, is that we've got to push ourselves out of that and ask ourselves, are we willing to move in the direction that God planned for us? Because what I've found to be true in my life, and I think this is true in everyone's lives, is that the things that God calls us to do are often just beyond our level of comfort. Have you seen that before in your life? Where it's like God is inviting me to do this. That's just a little I'm not comfortable. Maybe it's giving. Well, I don't know if I want to give to a church. Maybe it's serving. I don't know if I have time to serve. Maybe it's calling someone that you love or you miss. And, and it's just a little bit. Maybe it's talking to the person at the grocery store in line in front of you about Jesus or whatever that looks like. It's generally just a little beyond where we're comfortable. And so we often shrink back. And we all have a choice. We can live cautiously or we can live courageously. Now, if you gave me that choice on a daily basis, and I believe God does, I will inevitably choose cautiously because I'm wired in my DNA to go, okay, what are the rules? What are the expectations? And then I'm going to slide in those because cautious is probably could have been a middle name of mine. I like to live cautiously. And yet what God does is through, uh, through, through Jeremiah is inviting us to live courageously where we boldly move forward to follow God in whichever direction he leads us to live uh, cautiously. It's easier, but it's not more fulfilling. And the life that God calls us to live in is courageous, and it's a life of righteousness, and to sustain and to drive and move us towards excellence. And that's what God desires for us. That's what Jeremiah encourages us to do. But most of us are tiptoeing through life, hoping to make it to death safely. And that's not God's best for us. That's not his intention for us. God is inviting us to boldness and courage that can only be found in him. God's plan for your life, it's, it's bigger than what you can imagine. 
So if you're like, I, I don't know, what, what does God want from me? It's larger than we can imagine. What's God plan for our church? It's bigger than what you can imagine. It's bigger than what I can imagine. What does God desire for us, for our family, for, for our church, and on and on? God is calling us to something more than we could imagine. And it's going to actually need Christ. We can't live the life that God is calling us to live apart from him. We need his strength. We need his guidance. We need his wisdom. We need his boldness. We need his power. That the life God calls us to live, though, is a life of sacrifice and servitude. Are we willing to give up self? That the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a challenge and it's an invitation to live the life that God has called us to live. And last week, Taylor called us to purpose. And she articulated some of what that looks like. And, and she uh, talked specifically about us leaning into our natural inclinations to do what God has called us to do. What do you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? What does God want from you? And, and this morning, we're going to look at the why that we need to move from being more interested in self and become more interested in God. And I think that's ultimately what all of us have room to do is to go, okay, I need to be less interested in self and more interested in God. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Jeremiah 1. We're going to reread Jeremiah 1 this morning. The book of Jeremiah it was named from its author, uh, the celebrated 7th century B.C. prophet of Judah. Jeremiah is the most notable of the Hebrew prophets uh, because he was invited into the impossible mission of God. And I love that about God, is that God inevitably invites us into the impossible. Now, I don't know what your feelings are with impossible. I have a love-hate relationship with impossible. Impossible is frustrating. It feels like I'm being set up to fail. And yet, when God invites us into the impossible through him, it becomes possible. And, and Jeremiah was drawn into something bigger than him. And his task was to try to recall the people of Judah to an observance of the divine law at a time when they were on the brink of, uh, of natural, uh, national and spiritual disaster. Things were turning quickly towards wickedness and evil. And Jeremiah was to call them back to Christ. And I feel like as a society, things have turned rapidly. You look up and you go, whoa, we're, we're in a place I never thought we'd be as a society. And, and now more than ever, we need a call back to Christ we need a call back to morality, and Jeremiah was commissioned to call people to Jesus, and if there's ever been a time in human history that we need Christ, it's now. It's here, and it's now, and though his message was important, he acquired a reputation of being a pessimist. Anybody known as a pessimist? Just me? All right, two of us? All right. Anybody know somebody that's a pessimist, right? The person next to you possibly? Yeah. Yeah, Jeremiah's a pessimist. And he gets a reputation of being a pessimist. And he was rejected and even hated by a lot of people. But here's what I found to be true. Is that the more you stand up for Christ and you live like God's called you to live, the less people are going to like you. If you're calling people out of immorality, you're not going to win a whole lot of friends. And so Jeremiah was in the midst of this tension. And in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says the words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests living in Anathothen, the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. It also came throughout the days of Jehoahim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. I practice that a lot. It's a lot of weird words. When we come to a passage in the scriptures that don't make immediate sense to us in our current lifestyle, we go, okay, let's move on, right? 
We read something like that, and I won't reread it because I can't do it three times. But when you read it and you go, okay, that doesn't make any sense to me. Let's go to the Psalms, right? Let's have, uh, let's have the psalmist kind of, you know, tell me something basic or practical. And, and, and it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but we pass by passages like this. But what's interesting about Jeremiah 1 is the information. It doesn't seem important, and yet the prophecies generally start with some indication of authorship and date and, and a means of time frame. That when God is working and he's calling and he's moving, he likes to time stamp things a lot of times. And even though we don't really understand it in the moment, it's important for us to have context. It's important for us to have foundation. It's important for us to understand that dates and times are important to God. And if they're important to God, then they should be important to us. And if God deposits a promise in your life, if God calls you to more, if you feel a, a sense of calling or a purpose or God is saying something to you, write it down. Put a date and a time on it. And you can come back at some point and go, that's when God spoke or that's when God moved or that's what God is doing. Because time and dates are very important to God. And so the interesting thing about Jeremiah is that even though his name calls him to purpose, God is calling him to purpose as well. And I love this idea that Jeremiah has a very bold and powerful name. Now the act of naming, it happens early on in someone's life. So uh, they actually won't let you leave a hospital unless you've named your kid. We've found that to be true in our lives. And they won't name the kid for you. So you have to do the work. You have to name your child. But it's a big task. It's a big job. When you name a kid, you know that's what they're going to be called forever. you got to think of like all the nicknames and weird things other kids are going to make fun of them for. and You don't want to mess that up because you set your kid up for failure. And then there's the whole uh, power and impact and spiritual meanings behind names. And, and every name has a, a, a purpose and, and a name has enormous significance. And so there's a lot of weight when you go to name a child. And if you've ever Googled your name, you'll either love or hate your parents. You find that uh, there's a lot of meaning in your name, they didn't just address what they were, but they addressed who they were. Naming was a sense of hoping. It was a sense of calling to, to more. And when you name someone, specifically in biblical times, you were setting them up for great success. And someone great once said the name is the state of speech in which we speak to people, things, and values. The name is the right address of a person under which he or she will respond the original meaning of language was this very fact that it could be used to make people respond. Have you ever been in a crowd and you heard your name called? You look around. You can hear hundreds of names called and it never change anything for you cognitively and never evoke a response until you hear your name called. Sometimes I hear dad. I mean, I am a dad, so it makes sense that I would maybe respond to it, but my kids don't call me much anymore. They just, like, text. And so if I hear, like, somebody say, dad, like there's this natural like turn, like I'm someone's dad, you need help. And because names change things for us. They evoke a response and should move to action. That what happens when we name something is we're, we're giving it purpose. Have you ever thought about why you don't have numbers instead of names? It could be like 5,763,574. And we could all have numbers and we could tell like how old we were based on the number you were given because you'd see it on the timeline. I don't know, I think about weird stuff. We have names. And names are important, and they're important to God as well, because they shape and they change things for us, and you can be in a crowd and hear your name, and, and it changes that when God calls us, he calls us by name. That we create names that create purpose, and Jeremiah was the same way. Jeremiah's name means the Lord exalts, or the Lord founds. 
His very name was calling him to action. But he had a choice when he responds. Just because there's a call to action doesn't mean that we actually respond. That the question then is, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about responding when we've been called by name? How does Jeremiah go about it? How do we live up to the name we've been given that we can fulfill the destiny that God has called us to by naming or renaming our life? See, my years tend to have themes. And I generally don't understand the theme of my life or my year uh, until later. And sometimes I can sense it in the middle of it. There's just a reoccurring theme that comes up. I don't know if you're the same way, but I can look back over the years and be like, well, that was a theme in my life of, you know, creating. And I was uh, you know, leaning into creating more and doing more. And this year the theme has been trust. It's am I trustworthy? Do I trust? Can I be trusted? Like trust has just been this theme that has permeated my year so far. And so there are times when maybe the, the, the word or the term that's, that's imprinting on my year is not a positive term. And so what you and I can do is we can actually change the name. We could change the thing that we're living to and living up to, the standard in which we feel like we're being called to. Sometimes it's low and we've got to raise the standard or allow God to raise the standard in our lives. And in Jeremiah 1, verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is a beautiful passage that many times we use to try to reinforce the reality that, you know, we can do whatever and, and we often bend scripture to make it about us. And so it's important that we understand that this is Jeremiah. God is speaking to Jeremiah. God says specifically to Jeremiah, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God was speaking to Jeremiah. However, we can learn how God speaks to mankind through this passage. I think it's important when we read scriptures and we look at scriptures that we understand that this is a, a setting up a pattern and a tone and a tempo for how God works and the way he connects to Jeremiah. It may not be the same way he connects to us, but God doesn't change. He's still calling. He's still communicating. He's still working. And, and so we can learn a lot about this life of Jeremiah, that the first thing we realize is that God was communicating to Jeremiah. Now, if God was communicating to Jeremiah, why would he not communicate to me and you? If God was speaking to Jeremiah, why would he not speak to you and I? That this passage directly gets to the core of, of our questioning. Is God for me? Is he communicating with me? Absolutely. He desires to speak to us. And in Jeremiah 1, 4, it says, the word of the Lord came to me. Now, we don't know how God was speaking to Jeremiah. It could have been a burning bush. It could have been a talking donkey. We've seen that throughout Scripture. Those are really exciting and fun ways to see how God was working. I've not seen that myself. I hope to one day. But we do know that God was communicating in some capacity. And the interesting thing is that we all want to know what our purpose is. Every one of us. I've been in ministry all my life, my dad was a youth pastor for 25 years. He was a pastor after that. I've always been in church. The overwhelming theme of the lives of people in the context of church is what is my purpose? No matter how old you are, no matter your socioeconomic status, we all want to know what our purpose is. And I'm here to tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is Jesus. Your purpose is Jesus. Your purpose is 
is Jesus. The good news of the gospel is not that Jesus came so that you can discover your purpose. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came so that you can discover his purpose for you. Now that fleshes out in a lot of different ways, and Taylor did a great job of describing some of that last week, but the central purpose remains the same. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And if we'll listen, God will reveal to us his purpose for our life. See, we all want to know what my purpose is here because life is so much about me. But if we'll stop and go, God, what is your purpose for my life? It's a small, subtle verbiage change. But the long-term benefits are there. The, the, the action that, we, uh, that manifests is, is dramatic over time. God, what is your purpose for my life? Not what is my purpose. What is your purpose for my life? What are you doing in the world and how can I get in on it? What are you calling me to? But I think a misnomer is that we have a purpose. I think that's the first misnomer that we all kind of walk with is what is my purpose? When we ask this question and we try to find something on our own, we go, well, my purpose is raising children. Well, at some point you've raised your children. I'm told, and they are on their own, probably, and then what? Well, my purpose is to pastor this church. Well, what happens when I'm no longer pastoring this church? Well, do I not have purpose anymore? Well, my purpose is to work this job. Well, what happens when the job fires you? Where's your purpose? See, a lot of us find our identity and our purpose in the things that we do and not in who Christ is, and so we think that we are purposeless once we've served our purpose. But I don't believe in a purpose. I believe in purposes, plural, multiple purposes, because we're always changing and we're growing both practically and spiritually. We're always moving. That God's purpose for you today is not the same as his purpose for you six months from now, a year from now, ten years from now. And if your purpose is to raise children, raise them the best you can to love and to fear God. But when they get older, know that God has a new purpose for you. And his central purpose is still Christ, but how we flesh that out changes all the time. His purpose for you might be to work a different job or to do a different thing as seasons change and we shift and we flow. If we're following Christ, then whatever we're putting our hands to, God is going to bless, and that ends up being his purpose for our life. But see, what we do is we veer from God, wonder what our purpose is, and we don't find it. Our purpose is to follow Christ. It's the long obedience in the same direction to serve him and to be faithful to him and to stay in his word and to pray and to, to give and to love and to share and to serve. And if we'll live a life in Christ, then you'll walk with him step by step by step. But we want to know the whole thing. Like, what's my purpose in 10 years? What's my five-year plan? What's my 20-year plan? And God's going, just walk with me. Just step by step by step, walk with me. Don't get overwhelmed with all of this. Just walk with me. And just because something in your life that you find value in ends doesn't mean his purpose for you is over. That your purpose today is not the same as it was 10 years ago, and it won't be the same in the future. Your purpose is to follow Christ. The action changes, but the purpose doesn't. It's still Jesus. Serve Jesus. I can serve Jesus at this church just like I can serve him working at whatever uh, the nearest business is down the street. I can serve Jesus here. I can serve Jesus here. It's serving Christ. It's living on mission. And that fleshes out a lot of different ways. And Taylor uh, described, you know, serving as a door greeter. 
and maybe you're friendly and you have this natural inclination to, to, to greet people. You serve as a greeter, but maybe you grow and you're like, I want to serve in nursery or I want to do this or I want to do that. Our purposes shift and they change over time. But God doesn't change. The why doesn't change. But if you want to know your purpose or his purpose for your life, just listen to God. Just listen to him because he's communicating with you and I. Jeremiah was listening, or at least he had heard in some way. Had he not been listening, had he not been looking for Christ to speak, he wouldn't have heard. So God is constantly speaking to us. The question then is, are we listening? And what I love about how God communicates with Jeremiah is that he uses human words. The scriptures give us the exact words. He's using human words because words are so powerful. I find great value in words because they evoke emotion. Not just in the word, but in the, um, the way that you use words, the dramatic pause, the influxation, the, the up and the down. Words shift and change how you feel. And God is speaking and he's inviting us to more. And if there's ever a voice that's calling you to less, it's not God. If there's ever a voice that's lowering the standard, that's calling you to less, it's not God. God is always calling us to more calling us to live a life of more faith, to live a life of servitude at a greater level. Words change and shape the way we live. Words bring about change in our lives, and words shape and change the direction. Words speak life. Words speak death. And so we have to be careful of the words that we're listening to. The words are forming and informing your life. The words we listen to and live by shape and change the trajectory of our lives. And so listening For the voice of the Lord is critical, but God doesn't just speak life. He actually uses you and me to speak life as well. He doesn't just speak life and call us to more, but he uses us to call others to more as well. Part of our responsibility as followers of Christ in community like this is to call others to more. To do things together, to to build life and to call to more. What can we do together is greater than what we can do alone. This life is not for us, but it's for us to live, to serve others. And we call one another to more. We can learn a lot from how God interacts with Jeremiah. The second thing he was doing was he was choosing. God was communicating and then he was choosing. The Bible says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. Before we ever got around to ask questions about God, God was already interested in us. Before it ever crossed our minds that God might be important, God singled us out as vital. Before you ever came of age, where you understood sin and death and and before you ever understood the work of the cross and you decided to follow Christ and and you walked through uh, that in, in baptism, before you ever made it to that point in your life, God had already chose you. He had already singled you out. God is at the beginning of our life and everything we do comes from God. And at the end of our life, we're gonna go meet him in heaven and he'll be the beginning of our new life in him that God is at the center of everything. But before Jeremiah chose God, God knew Jeremiah. And this turns everything we ever thought about God around. You didn't choose God, he chose you. You don't have to find his purpose for your life. He wants to walk with you and unveil that purpose step by step. You may think that you picked God because as humans we love to be in control. We love to think that we've chosen things, but God chose you. God gave spiritual shape to Jeremiah even before he gave physical shape to him. And he shaped and formed you and I as well. And the same can be said for us. There is a great beauty in knowing that God loves you, he's communicating with you, and he shaped you. There's a lot of greatness. There's a lot of potential. And we're going to talk about that next week. God wants to move us 
to start living up to our potential. He needs us to recognize that we were chosen. And to recognize what we were chosen for, not only was Jeremiah chosen, but he was set apart. He was set apart to be used by God. And we often think that we have to wait to be picked to be used by God. Like a middle school volleyball team, you know what I mean? Or dodgeball. It's like, oh, I hope they get in the game. I hope they pick me. God's already chosen you. He's already given you his jersey. He's already called you to be a part of the team. You just have to be willing to step out onto the field or the court or the whatever. You've got to step forward. And stop waiting for people to recognize your giftings. Stop waiting for people to recognize your talents and your abilities. Say, hey, would you lead this or would you do this? And just step forward. God has called you and he's chosen you. And he's got a purpose for you. The choice is ours then. Will we embrace that? Will we step forward in that? Will we work within our calling that you're a royal priesthood? You're a chosen generation. God knew you, therefore you're not an accident. He chose you, therefore you matter. He gave you purpose, therefore you're a giver, not a consumer. But we have to choose to see our life as such. As long as we keep asking the question, what is my purpose? We miss opportunities to be used by God. Every single day. God has already chose you. He's already called you. Will you say yes? Because the third thing that God did for Jeremiah was he was calling him. He was calling him to more. He was calling him into the impossible. We'll expand upon it next week, but he was calling him into a task that he wasn't equipped for or capable of doing. And, and you read on, he says no. But the question we all have to ask ourselves at one point or another in our lives is what is God inviting me into? What is God doing in the world around me? And what part can I play in it? The reality is that God knew us before we knew him. We don't have to run around searching for purpose. We just have to find God. And if we'll connect our lives with his, he'll lead us to do the unimaginable. We just have to connect with him. The question is not, will God use me? The question is, will you say yes to whatever he calls you to? Will you say yes? God has already chosen you, so stop waiting to be picked God has already called you, so stop waiting to be called. You've already been chosen. Jeremiah 1 says, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That God was calling Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. Now, this is a very specific personal calling. So I don't believe that God is necessarily calling us to be prophets to the nations. However, I do believe that God is calling us to reach the nations. Meaning, the gift that you have, that God has placed inside of you, that uniqueness that you possess, that thing that's a virtue and a responsibility, that thing that God has given you, it's not for you. It's for the nations. What is God's purpose for my life? It's not for you to live a better life. It's for you to live a life for others. See, a gift is only a gift when it's given. If I go buy something and I keep it in my office... It's just a gift. It's just, I mean, it's not a gift. It's just a purchase. It's just a, probably a reckless purchase. It's only when I've turned that loose that it becomes a gift. Whatever you're holding inside, whatever God has gifted you with, it's not a gift as long as you hold on to it. It's only a gift when you share it with others, and that ends up being your purpose. That ends up being your calling, that the gifts that God gives us are only gifts when they're shared. So stop sitting on skills. Stop sitting on talents. Stop sitting on uh, desires. You've got something inside of you that God wants to use, and it could be small, and it could be big, but it's all great. And I don't believe that God gives us strength to fulfill our purposes. I believe that God is our strength and if you're here and you're like, well, I just don't have the capacity, lean on him. 
This, yesterday, I, I shoveled and, and hauled five tons of, of rock for our, our landscaping, and uh, I need as much credit for that as possible. I had a couple of teenagers helping me, but, you know, I, I, shoveled, I shoveled a good, good share of it, and it was hard. It was hard work. It's a lot of work, and I started out really strong, and I got a little too over-anxious and worked a little too hard on the front end, and uh, burned out real fast. You know what I mean? Like, towards the end, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to survive it. I don't know if I want to survive it. You know what I mean? Do you ever get there where it's like, I don't even know if I want to survive this. Like, cooling off seems like more work than I want to do. We live spiritually this way where we go full force in. I'm going to do this for God, and I'm going to do this for the kingdom of heaven, and just all in, all in, all in. And it's in your own strength. We end up doing things for God and not through God or with God. We end up burning out. That term is so often used in the church. And I hate it. I don't believe in burnout. I think we phase out. We fade out. If we're walking with Christ, he gives us the strength that we need for the day. We want to hoard it. I want all of it now, and I want to use it over time. And God says, no, it's daily strength. It's the daily manna that we need to walk with him. And so sitting here, you go, I don't have the strength to head up this or lead this or talk to this person. I don't have the ability. I don't have the finances. I don't have the resources. Of course you don't. God wouldn't call you to something if you had everything that you needed. We need God, and he calls us to specific things that demand that we lean on him. If you can accomplish it in your own task and you don't need God, then that's not faith. That's not purpose or calling. God wants to use us to do something that's just beyond our ability so that he becomes our strength. And it's not this thing that we use up and deplete and then go back for more. It's this walking consistently with him that God's purpose for your life may not look like anyone else's on the planet, but there's no one else like you on this planet. You were created unique. Your uniqueness is less a virtue and more responsibility. Can you lean into that? Can we take responsibility for what God has gifted us to do? And I believe that God has plans and purposes for each and every one of us. That he is more than capable of doing great and mighty things in and through our lives. But we have to ask ourselves, what does greatness mean? See, a lot of us think greatness looks like this or like that or like that. If greatness looks like, uh, you know, uh, 500 people in this church, then is this not great? If greatness looks like you writing a book that sells millions of copies is writing a book and five people turning their life to Christ because of it or being helped through it, not great. And let's say we accomplish great things, but we don't reach our neighborhood. Did we really do greatness? See, we have to redefine greatness in our lives. That You've been chosen to do great things, but we may not understand the word. That reaching the person in line at a checkout or Talking to someone that's in your neighborhood or simply calling someone that you haven't seen in a while is great. We often see greatness from a cultural perspective, but God doesn't look at greatness that way. God looks at greatness as serving. He doesn't look at power and wealth. He looks at serving and sacrifice and loving others. Jesus explains greatness comes from serving and sacrificing. He, he describes and lives serving as, as greatness. He became the least so that we could become the greatest. And you've been chosen to live a life of sacrifice and servitude. But we have to embrace it. But see, what happens a lot of times is we get out on our own and we want to do things outside of God. Or some of us know what God's called us to, but we haven't stepped into it. Vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision is wasting time. But vision and action changes the world. So if we have this vision, but we don't act, if we know what God has called us to, but we don't follow through, then it's a waste of time. But if we go full force and we don't go with God, then we burn out. 
But we have to marry vision and action. So you don't get to pick where you start, but you and I can choose where we finish. We can choose how we finish. And your circumstances, they don't determine your opportunities. And often, we use our situation as an excuse to not move forward. We say, well, I'm just waiting on God. I just need God to call me. You have a copy of the scriptures. He's already called you. He's already speaking. He's already calling you to more. Will you embrace the call? Will you say yes to whatever God has placed on your heart? When you look up and you see a need and you go, man, someone should do something about it. You're that someone. When you go, man, I really wish we had this or I really wish you had that. You're that person to step into that moment. And it may not be long term, but embrace that in the moment and watch how God uses you. It may be a conversation. It may be a small gift. It may be something simple. But watch how God uses the simple to do the divine because that's how he works best. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Creator God, you form us on the wheel of life as a potter molds clay. God, we're asking you in this moment to shape us into holy vessels bearing the mark of your wise crafting that we may remain strong and useful through years of faithful and obedient service. God, we in this room collectively say that we are willing. We collectively say, here I am, God, use me as we walk with you. You begin to unveil and reveal what you're doing and how you're using us. So God, for some of us we've gotten off track, gently bring us back in alignment with you so that our work will not be wasted, that our energy will be consistently renewed, that we can move forward with you, walking in whatever you've called us to. So Father, we thank you and we praise you that you call us to more. God, this morning we say yes. In Jesus' name.